If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would take them and turn to John chapter 16. I want to talk to you a little bit today about the partnership with the Holy Spirit. And, and this isn't going to be long, but it kind of sets the stage for some things that we may be talking about over the next few weeks. And while you're turning there, I, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but there is a deception that takes place at a very, very early age. Uh, for those of you that are mothers and grandmothers, you probably are aware of it, but I want you to picture that, that infant that is just beginning to eat solid food. And they are seated in their little chair, and they got the safety belts that have all strapped them in. Those of us that are older, we didn't have those. We just fell out of our chairs. But all of this is available now today, and I'm surprised we don't have helmets while we feed them. Uh, and then the mother takes this jar, and it's generally the ugliest green you can find, and they pop it open. And then the deception begins. Because you take this little baby spoon and you dip just a little bit in. And generally, I love watching people because they do this. And then they look at that child and they say to them, this is so good. You're guilty. I know it. You're going to love this. And that child has bright eyes because their mom and dad wouldn't lie to them. And so then, just to make sure that they get it, you make train sounds or airplane sounds, which I love watching really dignified people you know. And sooner or later, that child begins to recognize this is coming from my mouth. And so they open their mouth with great anticipation because mom or grandma said it was going to be good, and they stuff this baby in, and you slide it right up that little toothless gum. And what follows is the first understanding that your children have that you've lied to them. Because the face is like, oh. And then the message changes. Then it's no longer about you're going to love this. It turns into this is going to be good for you. Now, I'm a product of that lie. And what has happened to me is because I heard that growing up, many of you that know me know that vegetables are not my thing, especially green ones. I remember my mother telling me about how good broccoli tastes. That was a lie. And then she said, but it's good for you. And you begin to develop this idea that in the, in the mindset of a child that if something is good for you, it must taste awful. Any of you ever, you're walking around with those scars today? I suspect it's so. This is the way that we set the stage for this passage of Scripture. Because I believe that the disciples were in this moment where Jesus was telling them something that was going to be good for them and they didn't believe it. And so in John 16, verses 5 through 7, it starts this way. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is good for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate or the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, 
I will send him to you. So, Father, as we approach your word today, understanding that as you lead us and as you save us, that there is this desire and application that you have made for us to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit, would you reveal that truth to us today at a level where each of us can find application? And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus looks at the disciples and said, this is going to be good for you. I'm going away, but it's going to be good for you. And I can, just, I can just hear the disciples thinking, how is this going to be good for us? They probably looked at Jesus and said, I bet your mother told you that you liked broccoli also as a kid, didn't you? That these things just kind of fit together. And, and they would probably respond to him by saying, Jesus, how can you possibly believe that you going away physically is going to be to our betterment? Because if you haven't noticed, Jesus, when you're not around us, have you noticed how we treat one another? I mean, we have some real relational issues. We all have egos. We all want the best seat in the house. We all want to be known, you know. And so when you're not here, these things percolate to the surface. Or, or have, have you noticed, Jesus, that when you're not physically with us, that the resources that we need or the food that we need or the faith that we need seems to be in difficulty. When you're here, we eat well. Because, I mean, you can take a fish, you can make a fish sandwich go farther than anybody in the history of the world. But, Lord, when you're not here, we have trouble with these things. Our faith is, is, is a problem. Or, Lord, when, when you're not around, have you noticed, Lord, the way that we act when you're not here? Because we have conviction problems and courage problems when you're not here. I mean, just look at Peter. He stood there and told you, man, I've got it all made, and it was just a few hours later, his convictions went right down the toilet because you weren't there. So, Lord, what makes you believe for one minute that if you are not with us, that life is going to get better for us? Now, Jesus, we know you've always been right, but on this one, we believe that you're wrong. And I believe that the disciples were fearful and confused because they didn't hear the rest of the story, that Jesus said, I am leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. Uh, earlier in the evening, Jesus had made a similar pronouncement when in John 14, 16, and 17, he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And the counselor that Jesus was referring to was the Holy Spirit. And the disciples were about to have an opportunity to enter into a new partnership with the Holy Spirit that would radically revolutionize their life and they would radically revolutionize their world as a result of it. So today we are in the second message in the series of Led by the Spirit and today we're talking about partnership with the Holy Spirit, and I want to spend just a few minutes outlining some things that I believe will be helpful for you, because the Holy Spirit is probably the least known and understood part of the Godhead of the Trinity. And I want to share with you three observations, and if you have a pen and pencil, you can jot them down, or if you're looking online, you can follow along with that. But, but the first observation is this, there is the promise of a partnership that was given. In John 16, 7, Jesus said, but I tell you the truth. In other words, I'm not lying to you, he said. It's going to be good for you, 
If I am going away, because unless I go away, the gift the Father has, the person the Father has, the Holy Spirit that the Father has for you will not come to you. But when I go, he's going to send him to you. And so this promise that Jesus made is important to us on two levels. Number one, the promise reveals our need. Let me ask you a few questions that I'm going to encourage you not to raise your hand, and you don't have to shake your head in agreement, but just listen to them. Have any of you ever made a dumb decision? Have any of you ever stayed up late worrying or lost sleep thinking about a situation that you had no control over anyway? Have any of you ever had people problems where you were thinking, I would prefer to call in sick than have to deal with what I'm going to have to deal with today? In fact, I I saw a cartoon of a a lady that had frazzled hair and a haggard expression and bags under her eyes, and the caption underneath it was, when I woke up this morning, I had one nerve left, and you are standing on it. Have, have, Have any of you ever felt that way? Have any of you ever mismanaged your anger? Have any of you ever had a hard time getting along with yourself? Have you ever caved when you really thought that you would be able to hold your convictions? Have you ever had a chance to introduce somebody to Jesus, but the courage to take the first step and say the first word escaped you, and you turned around and you walked away never knowing what kind of an encounter that could have been had you just taken the step? I believe that all of these things describe the relationship Jesus had with the disciples and the struggle that they were going through because Jesus promised his disciples, listen, I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you an eternal living. Now, now this is a term that we use today, a personal life coach that will live on the inside of you. And because he knows that you can't handle life on your own, he will be there to help you, guide you, lead you into all truth, and to encourage you. And so the Holy Spirit comes to release grace within our lives and bring grace and gracefulness through our lives. And if we don't have grace, then we will walk in disgrace. But grace is the currency of heaven. Not only did this promise of a partnership reveal our need, but also in this, the promise of Jesus reveals the Holy Spirit's nature. In fact, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a counselor or a comforter or an advocate, and I I introduced you to this word last week that in the Greek, Greek is parakletos or paraclete, and it is such a rich word that there is no one word in our English vocabulary that can fully encapsulate everything it means. In fact, let me share with you just a few of what it means because I believe each of them will mean something to you. This term, parakletos, may also be used in a legal arena, and it describes a defense attorney or a character witness on trial. Now, I don't know about you, but this makes me happy to know that when I stand before God at judgment, that the Holy Spirit is going to be my defense attorney And as the enemy begins to outline all of the reasons why I shouldn't be there, the Holy Spirit will stand and speak on my behalf because of the work he has done within my life and your life. And so there is this comforter that comes, this one that speaks on our behalf that comes. 
The word paraclete also describes a specialist in a field who could come in and supply missing knowledge or insight to solve a perplexing problem. Does that not describe every day of our life where we're facing things and we're going, Lord, I don't know what to do here. Lord, I'm being asked to make a decision that I don't have all the information. So you as the Holy Spirit living inside of me, partnering with me, know my need, and you supply the necessary information, the missing information, so that I can do what pleases the Lord. It also says that the word paraclete means encourager. How many of you, your love language is words of affirmation? Anybody here? Many. I love it that the Holy Spirit speaks my love language. And from the inside, regardless of what people may do on the outside, on the inside begins to speak to me in a way that makes my soul respond in joy because he is encouraging me from the inside. And so the paracletus, as Jesus is mentioning, is not a thing. It's not a power. It is a person, and the person of the Holy Spirit speaks into us and lives within us. My personal nature with the Holy Spirit is clearly seen in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, when Paul writes, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There's a key term in here, fellowship, communion. It indicates to us that the Holy Spirit is not static, it's not locked in one place, but becomes to us a traveling partner in life, that one that goes with us, leads us, and so there's no place that you can go that the Holy Spirit will not travel with you. And so we see him not as an impersonal force, but he wants to be personal to us, just as Jesus was personal to the disciples. And so Jesus said, I'm sending another one that is just like me to come and be with all of you. The second aspect of this partnership is the priorities of our partnership. There are three priorities that take place in our life when the Holy Spirit partners with us. Number one, the Holy Spirit wants us to get right. Do you know that nobody gets saved? Nobody comes to Jesus Christ unless it's through the work of the Holy Spirit letting them know that something's not right on the inside, but there is one who can change them. Every one of us today that we're rejoicing and singing as to the power of our salvation experience have experienced what it's like to have the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of our heart, and, and when the altar call is given, feeling like you've swallowed a fork sideways, there's a knot in your throat and in your stomach. It's the convincing work of the Holy Spirit that is drawing you to Him. And so one of the things he does is he convinces us or convicts us when there needs to be changes within our life. John 16, 8 said, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And so here's what I love about this. For those of you who may be parents who have children that are not living for the Lord, or those of you that have parents that may not be living for the Lord, or, or family members, and you have had multiple conversations, and whenever you begin, the first thing they say is, don't tell me about that Jesus stuff. They just close the door on you. Here's what I want you to understand. They may be able to run from your voice, but they can never run from the Holy Spirit's voice. The Holy Spirit has access to the inner recesses of their mind and heart, and so parents... 
You just be assured that though they can run from you, the Holy Spirit is doing a work on the insider. Whenever you have an unsaved love, the Holy Spirit is convincing them of their need of Jesus. It's part of the way that he wants us to get right, which is in salvation. Then the Holy Spirit wants us to help us to grow right, which is the sanctification process. Healthy babies grow. If a child isn't growing, the doctor needs to find out why. Maybe they're not eating enough green vegetables. Who knows? But if there is a failure to thrive, the doctors take note of that. I believe that's also important for us to recognize that if you are in a healthy relationship with God and the Holy Spirit is at work within you, you are going to see thresholds of growth take place in your life. There will be situations that may have aggravated you in the past that you will have peace in in the future because of the way that God has sanctified you, grown you, you're growing in holiness and righteousness, and He is building you up just like a human being grows in height. So there is an aspect of your life that as you are feeding on the Word of God, there is an activation of that that's taking place by the Holy Spirit, and you are growing in the Lord. If you're not, then the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is going to knock on your door and say, I need you to come back so that I can do that within your life. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. In other words, the Holy Spirit in partnership with us teaches us the right way to live so that Christ may be formed in us. Listen closely. Some of you have been struggling with this. Growing up in God is not a matter of you trying harder. It's not a matter of you putting more effort into it. It's a matter of the Holy Spirit being at work within you as a partner that will give you the sovereign strength to do the right thing because He's leading you there. It's a matter of your will. Not only does He help us to grow right, He also helps us to go right, which is our service to Him. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria under the ends of the earth. There's this Greek word that we use for power, it's dunamis. We get our word dynamite or dynamic from it. But oftentimes we think about that if I'm going to be a Pentecostal believer, it means that I've got to have this explosive, outgoing personality. That is not exactly true. In fact, The base meaning of the word dunamis means that you are given ability. How many of you know that when God leads you into things, He's going to lead you to places that are uncomfortable in your own natural being? Because He wants whatever He does through you to be recognized that I could not do this on my own, but my capacity was enlarged because of the ability of the Holy Spirit to work in me and do something through me. And so for those of you thinking, man, if I'm going to be full of the Holy Spirit, I've just got to have this dynamic personality that draws people. No, what he's going to do is take your giftings and your abilities, and he's going to enlarge them. Some of you need those abilities enlarged in your own home. One of the healing things that the Holy Spirit does in relationship with us, in partnership, is he begins to release his nature relationally. It may be that there's friction right now going on with your kids or friends or workers or your spouse, and I want you to know that in partnership with the Holy Spirit, He begins to apply the oil of the Holy Spirit that reduces that friction so that there can be more peace. 
He will work with you physically. Maybe you're in need of a healing touch today. I want you to know the power of the Holy Spirit has the ability to bring healing to your physical body. Maybe your needs are emotional today. Maybe you're afraid, discouraged, depressed, disappointed. I want you to know the Holy Spirit in partnership with your life will bring emotional healing to you. And then there's this aspect that we've sang about him breaking change. Many times we think about that as we are stuck in habits and patterns that do not glorify God. And so through the Holy Spirit, he breaks those and helps you to walk a new path different than the way you did before so you don't put yourself in those tempting situations anymore. It's through the help of the Holy Spirit. So we've noted the promise of partnership, and we've noted the purposes of partnership, but there's a third key, and that is the preparations for a successful partnership. I see two key ways in which the disciples prepared themselves for the partnership that Jesus promised, and they're found in Acts chapter 1. First of all, Jesus gave them a command when He said this, do not leave Jerusalem. Now, for those of you who are parents, and, and even for those of us that grew up with parents like that, how many of you knew when your parents were serious by the tone of their voice or the look? I, I can picture Jesus having that type of demeanor as he's speaking to the disciples who are just flat out disappointed that Jesus is leaving and he says it's good for them when he says, listen, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then we move a little farther down in verses 12 and 13. He said, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city, and when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Now here's what we need to understand out of this. The first key was the way they prepared themselves for this partnership is that they acted obediently. They showed up. Have you ever heard the phrase, half of being successful is just showing up? This past Friday, I was with two or three men from our church, and we get together every now and then, and we have prayer breakfast together. And, and at the restaurant we were there, we, we know the owner, and as they came over, they begin to express to us the difficulty that they are having right now in just trying to find employees and keep employees. They were running. I, I said, it looks like everybody in your family is running around this morning. And she stood by our table and she goes, it's true. And, and tears begin to form in her eyes. And as she was talking about, she goes, listen, we had somebody last night calls us late last night. I said, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to have to take down a tree in my yard. I'm not going to be able to go to work today. And somebody else, was, you know, and, and so we stopped right there and said, can we pray with you about this? And right there, we joined hands together and we just prayed that God would provide what they need in their business with people that would show up and just do the job. And, and they're not the only ones in our community that are going through this. And I thought, how important is it for we as believers when the Lord gives us a command to just show up and do the job that God is asking for us? Part of having the Lord work powerly, powerfully through our lives is to put ourselves in a place where God can work in our lives. And the second specific act of personal preparation can be found in, in verse 14 when it says, they all join together constantly in prayer. They prayed up in unity. 
There were two critical alignments that were needed if the disciples were to be empowered and to be empowered partners with the Holy Spirit. Number one, they needed oneness with God. Prayer is vital in aligning your heart with the will of God. If you believe that you can do the will of God without any communication in prayer with God, you are sadly mistaken. It is absolutely necessary that we have that communication because it aligns our heart in prayer by surrendering our will to the will of the one who is working within us. It's saying, God, I can't. Any of you ever said that? I say that a lot in prayer. God, I can't. I can't. It's too big. It's too much. And the Lord then says, of course you can't, but I can. And I can do it in you, and I can do it through you, and I need you. And it gets our heart and our eyes and our spirit right with God and what He wants to accomplish in us. Not only did they need this oneness and unity with God, but they also needed unity and oneness with each other. It was vital to their relational alignment. Commentator Lloyd Ogilvie writes this, Note especially that it says they devoted themselves to prayer together. More than physical proximity, this means that there was the development of a spiritual unity among those that were there. And there had been, as you read in the New Testament, some deep tensions among them during the ministry of Jesus, after the ministry of Jesus. These were strong-willed people. And it was in the middle of that And it wasn't until they got together in unity on their knees, fully open to God and each other, that the Holy Spirit then said, now you qualify for the outpouring. Notice also that Jesus' mother and brothers were there. They had not always been an appreciation or affirmation between them and the disciples, nor between them and Jesus. But now, in unity and prayer, a healing was taking place. Some of you today need relational healing. It happens in partnership with the Holy Spirit when you pray. The very thing you've been asking for, He can do. Because that healing was a prelude to the power that was going to come. I have never known a contentious, fighting group of people to receive the Holy Spirit. Nor have I ever seen a church in which division and disunity prevailed receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And if we want the power of the Holy Spirit as individuals, we need to do a relational inventory. There are some that have asked me, Pastor, I've been seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit for a long time, and I don't know why God won't give me the gift. Listen, God is giving you the gift, but sometimes there's a preparation that needs to take place in our own life so that we can be right to receive it. So let me ask you this. Is everybody in your life that needs to be forgiven? Are there people and things and situations that come to your mind that you recognize that I have held them at arm's length. What they did to me is, is so deep that I've never forgiven them. I may say I've forgiven them, but I hold that resentment and wish for them to be repaid. It may be that it's in unity and prayer in the Spirit that the Lord reveals that to you, and you're going to have to let that go. However, on the other side of that, it may be that you have done something to somebody else that you must go and repent of. I can't tell you how many times I've heard it through the years as a pastor, people coming to me, and, and, and as we're getting to know them, they use these terms. Well, I've been hurt before by churches. Any of you ever heard that? 
You know, churches are buildings. What they're saying is that I've been hurt before by people who claim to be Christians. And then I ask follow-up questions because I want to know if they're running from the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes when people are confronted with something that's sin, they just run someplace else to try to find another group that will let them off with that. Or is it that there has been damage done to their person that somebody needs to ask repentance for so that they can be released? Some of you are going, man, that's an awful high price to pay. Let me tell you, it's a bargain price compared to what the Holy Spirit will give us in return. Worship team, would you please come? Here's what we need to know as, as, as we launch ourselves into this study a little bit more. What Jesus is asking you to do, what He is asking us to do as a church is absolutely impossible. Let that just sink in for a minute. The expectations of what God wants to do in us individually, through us as a body of believers, is impossible on our own. We aren't capable of it unless the Holy Spirit indwells us and in partnership with us begins to provide divine ability and enablement to expand our capabilities and our aptitudes to do what He wants to do. And when that is all completed, we sit back and we raise our hands and give glory to God for what He has accomplished in His people. And so today, very simply, there's the promise of partnership. The promise reveals from Jesus our need and the Holy Spirit's nature. There's the priority of partnership. The Holy Spirit wants us to get right and to grow right and to go right. And there's the preparation for successful partnership. We must show up in obedience and we must seek unity.